Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andrei Degeler. This episode of our show is sponsored by Kashai Law, the European startup law firm with truly entrepreneurial mindset. Embracing the startup culture, Kashai Law said goodbye to outdated arrangements and processes. They are here with a new perspective to break down the borders of the legal industry and reshape the way that law firms can collaborate with their clients. Recently, I sat down with Karola Kashai, the founder of Kashai Law, to talk about the main regulatory challenges of startups in Europe, about the most common legal mistakes that entrepreneurs make, and so much more. Let's check this out together. My name is Karola Kashai, and um, I'm the CEO of uh, Kashai Law. I'm an attorney at law, and uh, we work in uh, technology and entrepreneurship. Right. So before we talk about uh, the firm itself, let's just talk a tiny little bit about yourself. Uh, what uh, what did you do before uh, actually co-founding Kashai Law? Uh, what, uh, what, what brought you to this whole brave new world of uh, technology, regulation and legal stuff? I had been uh, keen on becoming a lawyer ever since I was eight years old, basically, which is um, a little, little strange, I know. And um, I have uh, an idea that I, I really or at least I remember that I thought that, okay, this can help to serve a better future because I was really keen on helping people and um, serve justice and that the rights of people can be protected. Yeah, this is what I had in my mind uh, as an image of a lawyer, as a, as a child. And um, I, I didn't really have an alternative path in mind, actually. Mm. And uh, when I got into law school in Budapest, Hungary, then I also had a very strong idea what I expected from it. Unfortunately, that was not really <laughs> what I what I encountered back then. I studied in uh, Germany as well and uh, and in Hungary, and uh, also went to internship in the local court in Germany and uh, in the different international law firms. And I did uh, traineeship at certain international law firms, which leads us to become a fully licensed attorney at law. I noticed that this is a fairly rigid environment and with very, very firm structures and processes and not definitely not flexible and um, cannot really react to the changes of the world around us. Mm -hmm. And this was very, very opposite to my own mindset, actually, because uh, I'm coming from an entrepreneurial family anyhow. So my, my dad had a lot of companies and um, that mindset is the one I am socialized in, actually. And uh, I had some hard time at a pretty early age, like after I finished law school and I started to work as a trainee lawyer, that uh, I didn't feel that I would completely fit into this society. But I still felt that I really like to be a lawyer. So like the job itself. So what we do, how how interesting to puzzle the little pieces together, how interesting to find out the strategies of, of different companies. So I started to think very, very early what to do, <laughs> what to do with this contradiction. Like, what can I do? How can I find a way which, which suits me? I was looking for inspirations consciously, actually. And once I went to an event, to an accelerator in Budapest, where I where I saw a short film about the life of a startup. And um, it was so extremely inspiring. And then I knew right away that like this is the atmosphere I could really feel at home because, you know, with like being basically an entrepreneur myself, like, okay, I have to create my own law firm to, to get that corporate culture, which I agree with. This is in itself a type of an entrepreneurship to work with other entrepreneurs who have, who are really, really motivated to contribute something on a daily basis to the future. 
and to work in technology where to where I had a very special interest in again from a, from from a very very early age because my dad liked it too. So it's you know very hard to talk about your career path without the effect of the parents, obviously, when you were a child. And um, he all the time bought the newest tech gadgets. We had everything mm. I remember, and I was so fascinated by the technology. We had everything way ahead of any other friends of mine. And like, oh, what this, what that? We had the mobile phone when like nobody even had proper phones actually. <laughs> and then I realized this whole startup and entrepreneurship can bring together these three very divergent fields of my interest. So like being a creative and constructive entrepreneurial lawyer in a, in a field of technology. So it's, 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 it was a perfect synergy, but it was not easy to find a way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So when did you actually found Cachailo? Uh, when, when did you start? It's basically like the first uh, minute after I got the full license <laughs> for, for being an attorney. <laughs> I said like, oh, okay, there's no, no time to waste here. So it was uh, 2012. So what is what is different? So what uh, did you do differently? What are you still doing differently from the rest of the market? How does it work for you? So I realized back then when like looking for some solutions for myself to spend my work life in a way which I actually like, <laughs> is that um, <laughs> this um, dramatic revolution of the 21st century, you know, like talking about uh, technology or globalization or any kind of democratic questions. They really cannot be ignored by any industry without consequences. And I just didn't see any answers or solutions from the regal industry back then. I realized that these tech companies, actually, so these tech entrepreneurs, which I felt really close to as to the, myself, as to their mindset and the approach to basically solving the problems, they, they focus on the future and they have the resilience and the persistence to realize their visions. And this creativity and innovative uh, approach and agile or proactive way of searching for new solutions is, is the way they are looking for in their lawyers as well. Mm -hmm. So like they, that they can be served by equally dynamical legal teams the way how they would like to be served. That is why lawyers need to be able to work with the same skill set if you work in this field of modern technology and uh, new technologies. So, so like you need to implement a mixture of this forward thinking, innovative problem solving and complex business oriented mindset instead of just being stuck in the more passive executive role. So we, we call ourselves entrepreneurial lawyers. That's why hmm. so we have this uh, entrepreneurial mindset very strongly in our work and um, we focus on the business understanding. So it's not like, okay, this is a term sheet and this is what we would like to sign with the investor. So like, please review it from a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. The way how we work is that it's not going to be only the legal comments there, but we probably going to comment on the business part and on the business model as well, on the IP strategy as well, not from a legal perspective, but on the long run, uh, what they would like to achieve, whether, whether this is a good direction or not, whether they actually should sign this investor or sign with this investor any kind of agreement so that shouldn't be the perfect fit, not necessarily based on the legal requirements, mm -hmm. but, uh, but on the long-term business goals. Or another thing is that we also have technological understanding in-house. We went to developer courses, for example. Hmm. Okay. The reason for this is that um, as the technologies become more and more sophisticated, lawyers working in tech cannot really afford anymore to not be familiar with these newest developments because the most suitable legal solutions can really depend on nuances of what and how these companies actually do. 
So it's, it, there is a good example for this. For as a, if you are talking about cryptocurrency transaction, for example, yeah. and then there is the reasonable suspicion that you should block the transaction, you know, because of money laundering perspectives. If we do not understand the transaction tracing system, for example, like to what extent, what data and knowledge can be gained by that system and be proven and so on, it's very, very hard to evaluate the situation from a legal perspective as well. So technological understanding is uh, is another very crucial aspect mm-hmm. of, of Kasai law. And um, it's also very nice that the clients are usually extremely grateful because, you know, it feels for them that they, they can skip like the first 10 meetings because, because they don't have to explain and onboard the lawyers on what they do. That's very refreshing and uplifting. So we can like jump on right there on it, what they actually need. So it's very helpful for them. And other than that, uh, other than the entrepreneurial mindset and the technological understanding, the last thing which I would mention here is that um, we have to start thinking global also as lawyers. So in the people and like in the traditional industry itself, obviously, and it's people minds, the legal profession is extremely local. Of course, we mm-hmm. get uh, we go to universities in certain countries, the national laws has certain characteristics. Yes, it's somewhat local. That's very, very true. But it depends a little bit on uh, your clientele and who you work with, because um, it's one of the many paradigm shifts happening in the legal industry as well, invoked by the by the information age. It, you know, as the borders are falling down for these companies, for the technological companies, and the internationalization is easier and easier for companies, mm-hmm. the legal advisors need to approach the clients with this global mindset too. Because if you think about it, now we live in a country or like. Now we live in a world when employees can work from anywhere. Companies can gain attention of foreign investors by some clicks. Basically, clients can approach uh, the companies from the other end of the globe. So we lawyers have to be really ready for these upcoming effects. And we have to be able to advise and prepare our clients for all kinds of international aspects from day one, basically, in, in case of startups especially so we have to be able to navigate the clients in uh, these international aspects arising yeah. during their operation and that is especially true with when, when there is a global industry by nature due to technology but a regulated market for example cryptocurrencies so that's a, that's a very interesting transition so i can have users or like customers from any country and there are certain situations um, which might invoke different applicable laws and jurisdictions based on that customer, even though I operate in Sweden, for example, mm-hmm. I'm a Swedish company. So these these tendencies are pointing towards the direction of a big mindset change, which is very interesting. Yeah, it sounds like so it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts right now with startup regulations and all the legal requirements that startups get. So as far as I understand, you work with startups on all the different stages of their life from the beginning and all the way to to IPO. You were involved in the IPO of Safe Hello. So uh, what do you what do you see happening there? Uh, what uh, do you uh, would you say that uh, over these ten years uh, the legal knowledge of these startups at different stages has become better, has become more full, or is it or is it the same? <laughs> It depends a little bit uh, on the founders, obviously. So like the, the more experience the, the founders have, the more adequate questions they can mm-hmm. they can raise 
obviously, but um, all in all the education, not necessarily just the academic education, but, you know, any kind of self-education, um, the lot of work what accelerators, incubators do, it definitely is a much broader information amount which you can access. And um, it's it's definitely visible that people have more information and they try to read up. Yes, exactly. But they are still a little bit lost because now maybe, you know, this can be on the other side again or this can be the other end of the horse a little bit with uh, with this huge amount of information which we have access to because of the internet that like okay how to decide which one <laughs> to apply yeah. for myself it's a little bit the same with the templates as well like okay like if you are not a lawyer and then you get all kind of different advice for example on the internet mm-hmm. like okay which one to follow and um, when, when, when I do mentoring, it also comes up a lot of times um, that, uh, okay, one of my advisors, not necessarily legal, any kind of, any kind of advisor said this. And then I went to the other mentor and then he said that. And the third mentor said the third thing, like, how should I, like, which one, like what to do now? <laughs> like, what, what to do with conflicting advice? Mm-hmm. That's always a big question. And it's a little bit same with the law as well. So you yeah. can find everything on the internet and on the opposite as well so <laughs> really everything but the direction is very good so okay. educate education is all the time a very crucial part i mean it's not it's not unlike medical advice i suppose there are like doctors who, to whom you should supposedly go if something is wrong but then there are the, there are there is google there are internet forums and then uh, you can go in and ask your questions and get a lot of interesting answers not all of them are going probably <laughs> to be uh, correct but uh, like every, every time i google something i just have to stop myself at some point because yeah it just gets too weird and it's better to just yeah, call exactly. your uh, general <laughs> practitioner instead of uh, uh, continuing reading stuff that uh, gets um, weirder and weirder by uh, by the link <laughs> yeah exactly and somehow we always get up having some very very serious illness right if you google it so like, <laughs> oh yeah always <laughs> always it, it cannot be simple what i usually say to to our clients is that um, the key here is to be able to identify at which point you really need professional legal help mm-hmm. the second is to be able to ask the right questions so you don't have to find everything out by yourself and if you for budget reasons, don't wanna go to a lawyer at a certain point, which we would definitely not recommend, but <laughs> that's another question if you talk about failures or some mistakes. But still, if you decide not to go to, to a lawyer to discuss your individual case, if you are able to identify those entry points when you really have to, and if you are able to raise the right question, you are already way ahead. And of course, this requires some practice and education. So it's a little bit of a circle, yeah. you know, an eternal yeah. circle. So I understand that the underlying problem uh, is uh, an underlying mistake, uh, if we can say, uh, is that uh, the founders, entrepreneurs would just not uh, seek, uh, seek professional help. Uh, but then, like uh, be, besides besides that, what sort of what sort of mistakes, what what sort of issues do you see mostly with startups uh, uh, at uh, different stages? Like what uh, what's usually wrong? I would start with the lack of proper due diligence on the potential investors, actually because um, we've seen extremely lot of problems from the fact that you know startups obviously need funding and they yeah. just uh, desperately run to the or like use the first opportunity which uh, arises 
and they don't really think about uh, that actual investor and don't really think about it that they're going to be everybody says that but it's still true that they're going to be married to this investor for many many yeah, years yeah, yeah. and it's not like a real marriage because honestly it's easier to get a divorce <laughs> than than to divorce your investor so it's, <laughs> it works only one way you get into the marriage and then that's it basically so you definitely have to check how they treated their other portfolio companies whether they can be counted on whether they can actually provide smart money or it's just yeah. uh, you know it's just this money once and uh, what 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 visions they have for for the venture and um, what kind of significant value they can provide to you so this is a very very important point which should be put more emphasis on because you know the problem with insufficient investor relationships not gonna not necessarily will be obvious at the very beginning once you get the investment yeah and once you go way, way, way much deeper into building up your whole company. And then obviously you already have a hope. Hopefully you have a up and running business. You have a brand, you have all kind of uh, contracts, partners, everything. And then an investor, if it's not the right fit, can really make your life harder to move forward. Not necessarily on purpose, obviously. So it can be extremely lot of issues. So that's that's one thing. Another thing, and we already talked about this, but I need to emphasize it all the time because this is the second point: is the, that um, the founders don't share a shareholders agreement mm -hmm. before anything would happen. So it, it can be a pretty simple one. It doesn't have to be like 20, 30 pages document, obviously, because then here comes again the argument that they cannot really afford going to a lawyer. Shareholders agreement to not being tailored is already a little bit risky territory but but still so it's it's very important that the gentleman's agreement is in most cases going to turn out to be not sufficient again hmm. so it's um, the major topics you really should discuss that like how you split the shares based on what actually and what kind of roles and responsibilities do you have uh, how how do you want to deal with the good or bad lever and uh, so like actually the basics, what do you expect from each other? What's your, again, the vision, like in case of the investors, like what's your long-term vision with this company? It can happen a lot of times that, you know, your, your co-founder is going to drop out in two years because <laughs> he's just <laughs> bored or not interested anymore in the startup or lifestyle would, or like got a kid and would like to have some more solid, you know, stream of revenue or anything, anything can happen, honestly. And um, if you start a venture, on the basis of, oh, yeah, we are really great friends. We know each other from high school. We have so much fun yeah, at parties, but you know, this is business. So, Which is <laughs> often the case, which is often how it gets started. Yeah, it, it's most often. Yeah, exactly. Which is not necessarily a, a bad thing, because um, obviously if, if there is a good business chemistry between friends, it can work out very well if you know each other. Hopefully you complement each other. So it's again another problem if there are two people or three people doesn't matter with the exact same skill set and the exact same competencies so they can assure each other then very well in those competencies they have but um, you know there are other aspects too so for example to get customers or to go out and get clients somebody has to be comfortable with yeah. being <laughs> or like yeah somewhat of an extrovert you know like putting yourself on stage be confident like selling yourself and the whole company and um, you can be a genius in other areas but uh, that's not necessarily bringing customers so like the self-knowledge self is something yeah. which is really important i think 
in the background of of these shareholders agreement now we mix and match the business and legal thing but this is what i <laughs> this is what i was referring to so like we right. don't have just one perspective of of the thing and there, surprisingly because we as lawyers would think that almost the first thing that we would check but the regulatory background uh <laughs> is also missing in many many cases so like um founders have a very good idea of what they want to do and then they approach us or or not <laughs> depending on whether they want to go to lawyer or not but uh, but it turns out that they didn't do the background check at all and the whole business model the whole idea the whole thing we started they started to build up they have customers already it happened a lot of time as well under the radar a little bit or not mm-hmm. necessarily with a huge marketing but they, they started operating. They founded the company and then, well, like nothing happened. And then it turns out that according to the, the actual regulatory background, like permits, licenses, registrations, or compliance with other mm-hmm. other like uh, GDPR issues or terms of services, consumer protection, you know, many, many things. It cannot be done how they do the business. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's very, very interesting from a, from a legal perspective to see these kind of approaches and the the worst part there is that if you put on your lawyer head there you know and just tell them well yeah i'm sorry but this is not exactly the way but we have this and this and this idea how you can actually do what you would like to do they feel really embarrassed and uh, some of them depending again um, how experienced they are they can be hurt a little bit even though you know it's nobody's fault (laughs) that the regulatory background is different Well, to be entirely uh, honest, I think there is more than one startup that started this way, at least just o- operating. <laughs> let's say in the in, in a gray area of um, uh, of the regulations, and then uh, somehow maybe pivoting and getting uh, into something else. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too surprised if this story uh, sort of um, uh, chimes along with a bunch of our listeners and uh, people in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So it's nice that there uh, there are at least uh, uh, people who can uh, who can point at that uh, uh, before. Uh, uh, the the authorities do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, it's a very tricky question because, especially in technology, you call it gray areas, but they are not necessarily gray areas because we would like to, or the companies would like to avoid any kind of regulatory compliance. It's mostly because the legal background hasn't reached that level of the technological developments yet. So it's yeah. basically nothing wrong what these companies would like to do. But there is not a clear guidance in law. There is no practice. The authority has no idea. They don't understand the technology, for example, that for an old fashioned, or like not old fashioned, but like an existing law tailored to a very, very different type of company cannot really <laughs> be used here because this technology works differently. And this is where we come in actually with the entrepreneurial mindset that we find a way. So like we, we really we really believe that these disruptive companies with this mindset, you know, they're gonna do what they wanna do, what they envision yeah. anyway, because that's why they are disruptive. So simply telling them that, well, you know, it's not possible or I don't know, because there is no practice. I rather don't help you or don't advise you because it's it's too risky from a insurance perspective, mm-hmm. like, you know, my professional insurance perspective. On the long run, they, they don't really care. So the solution is to find a way in a creative problem or like a creative solution oriented way that is still compliant. So it's really challenging, actually, as, as a lawyer. So it doesn't help either that the regulations uh, around technology are framework related in many, Mm. many cases. 
So like there is just the skeleton and you have to fill it in yourself and your company. And um, this also this also leads to a little bit of a segmented practice within the European Union, which is uh, which is another topic which can which can lead yeah. <laughs> very 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 long to. But so the situation is not easy, and I totally understand that startups just started, especially especially if you consider the fact that they are pushed by the investors into acting as fast as possible. So it's again the eternal circle of you would like to have, get investment in order to get clients, mm-hmm. but. You need clients first in order to get investments. So like all in all pitching session, you're going to get the question all the time that, okay, like how many customers do, do you have? Well, I don't have any yet. Yeah, okay, sure. No problem. Just go out, focus on the customers, get some, and then we talk in six months. So it's understandable that, that companies actually start operating as they can, but it's still, it can be suicide. So this is this is another this is another myth which I experience a lot that you know, and I always blame it on the American movies of you know these <laughs> law firm movies of like and there comes the lawyer the cool lawyer the coolest one in the whole town and then they gonna like fix it for you well it's just in the film so in the in the European legal systems it doesn't really necessarily work like that obviously we can do a lot of things but there is a certain amount of issues which retrospectively cannot be made wonder about. Mm -hmm. So we are not magicians, even though a lot of companies would like to believe we are. I see. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And since we were on the topic of regulations, I also wanted to ask something else. So you are operating uh, across uh, the European Union uh, in uh, different uh, different geographies. Uh, so you see the difference in different regulations, but you also see probably uh, pretty good the uh, EU level regulations. So what do you think the regulators could do today or like, I don't know, this year, next year to actually make the lives of startups easier? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. And there is uh, a lot of ideas and debates about it on on the internet. So the first complaint which we hear the most about from clients is that they have a really hard time. So they are struggling to cope with this uh, huge EU bureaucracy. So it's um, it's also a theoretical question somewhat. It's like a theoretical and uh, innovation political question of like where to place the European Union in the whole word as to as to innovation so how fast you react to the developments and uh, how flexible the whole environment it is for companies and um, unfortunately there are still major issues for example the lack of any kind of harmonization of the corporate or company laws or like the employee options it's 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 much much more complicated than in the us for example or any kind of startup visas so um the the single market itself, which is you know like one of the main ideas of of the whole EU, it doesn't really work flawlessly in case of start startups and uh, and um, information and innovation flows. This is something which is supposed to be definitely addressed on. It's supposed to be a more transparent, more flexible system within the EU for these companies. And there is already some uh, initiatives of the European Commission called Startup Europe. And mm-hmm. it has uh, it aims actually actually to to have the life of startups. And um, within Startup Europe, there is a an initiative uh, around in the around the the SME strategy of the European Commission, which is called EU Startup Nation Standard. Mm-hmm. And um, that points towards the direction of of unifying a little bit uh, the 
the background all over the EU for these companies, but it's still, it's, it's not a law, you know, it's just an initiative. Mm. Companies, yeah, yeah, yeah. member states feel all member states should sign them. There are like 24 already signed them, but like three, four, yes. Yeah, 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 right. And, um, and then you have to start working out the actual <laughs> regulations or like how to, how to deal with the, the major issues of startups and it takes years and years. So this is already the essence of the criticism, which you can read the most about. Like, okay, that's great. Finally, there is an initiative and everything is so extremely slow. Then by the time, by the time you actually get something, your technology is like 10 years ahead yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a startup, it's like even even one year for a startup is a whole lot of time. Exactly, like so many things can happen in a year, <laughs> and you still don't know how you can operate in five years or ten years because the EU is working so slow, and it uh, creates a very insecure uh, environment for for the business, unfortunately. And the other thing, which would be a great contribution, if um, there were any kind of official forum or authority to ask for official interpretations of some EU laws, because mm. uh, other than, you know, having to go to the court <laughs> and then yeah. they made it out until, until you win a case again, like for a tech company, that's not really going to help at the very moment. And um, this relates uh, also to what I already mentioned, that uh, many tech-related regulations have this framework nature. So like, mm. okay, I, I, I get where I, where, what the goal is, what the goal is, and I get where I should get <laughs> to. But how on earth do I get there? So I understand your framework, EU, and what's next? And <laughs> um, and and especially if you if you work with um, different companies from different countries, you see that okay, there is uh, the differences in the national interpretations, if there is any, of course, because in many cases it's missing. But if there is any, it can be <laughs> it can be very very different. And then okay, what's happening with the single market again? So like mm -hmm. uh, how to, how to know what what how to be compliant here and there and um, and if there were no authority or a forum for official interpretations valid for the whole EU that would be a really 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 great uh, contribution because um, the situation now leads to segmented practices within the member state and that's again against the idea of the single market a little bit. Yeah, and this uh, I think uh, this also perpetuates uh, uh, the idea among founders that legal stuff is something that uh, it's uh, that is too complicated and should never be approached and just like yeah maybe just exactly. don't think about it for now. <laughs> exactly, definitely, and just just don't talk to a lawyer because because that that's gonna be a very boring, very upside experience and, <laughs> and never be... good news. Never good news. Exactly. No good news comes from a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's a little bit like the dentist, right? Here I can just imagine. <laughs> I, I would just not like notice of this feeling that. <laughs> Well, that's actually. I think it's actually a good uh, good metaphor uh, comparing a startup lawyer to a dentist. Yeah, if you basically <laughs> if you go to uh, one regularly, it may uh, save you a lot of uh, pain and uh, um, uh, expenses uh, uh, further down the line. So here you are. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And uh, the other thing which I usually use with the shareholder agreement is the, or like the whole template creates, it's not necessarily the shareholders agreement because, you know, because of the cost saving approach of, of startups in the early stage, they, they use templates or like mm -hmm. try to use templates, which are definitely not tailor-made or not customized. 
whole lot of issues can come out of that, of course, uh, obviously. But but it, it's again the same. So if you if you cut your hair yourself and don't go to a hairdresser, well, there is a chance it's going to be good, but most likely it's not. <laughs> it, it's not going to be that perfect. <laughs> And then you have to live with that hair for, I don't know, God knows how long until it grows again, you know, and looks somehow so that you go to a hairdresser at the end of the struggles who can fix it for you, except that at the end of the road, the lawyer cannot necessarily fix which you signed and didn't understand before. So it's, um, yeah, interesting to yeah, see. It is. <laughs> So, uh, so Carol, uh, we are at the end of the questions that I had for this conversation, but I also uh, got a question. I wanted to bring up a question from uh, from the audience, uh, which I asked for uh, earlier uh, this month. Uh, so I wanted to, it's a, it's a long one, but I'm going to read it in full. And then I'm, I think we have partially answered it already, but I really wanted to, uh, to hear your take on this. So the question uh, came from uh, Dana Shadad, and uh, it goes like this. Uh, the legal templates for startups are available galore on all sorts of platforms, but there is a disconnect between legal tools and legal strategy. How do founders with limited legal knowledge access strategic legal advice to support their goals, uh, be it growth or exit or acquisitions? Many, many founders still fail to understand the legal implications and long-term risks of things like establishing quorums for voting or preemptive rights, etc., etc. So the main question is, how do founders with limited legal knowledge access strategic legal advice to support their goals? So do you have any particular uh, take on this? Well, you know, yeah, we, we already partly uh, talked about this, but unfortunately, it's again like, and now you're right, the lawyer only have bad news, but like, <laughs> what, what, what to do here? But I have bad news here. So like, there are certain things which you really, really cannot spare on, unfortunately. And I, and I understand how, how big of a struggle this is, especially at the very early ages. But um, without having some practice as a founder and without somewhat of a self-education, like reading, reading up on the internet, you are basically lost. And even sometimes with having practice and <laughs> with proper self-education. So there is no life hack, actually, unfortunately, mm. in this question, because because... Law is a very, very specific field. It's not like, uh, you know, you can you can become a lawyer without actually seeing many, many, many legal problems in reality. So, uh, but it is the same what I already, already mentioned, that if you get a, a little bit of an overview and a little bit of a practice, then you will be able to identify when and at which point you actually need to turn to a legal advisor and you will be able to ask the right questions to that advisor, even if... Not necessarily as all the questions. Obviously, the legal advisor has a lot of experience already and they're going to ask the proper questions for you as well. So, so yes, unfortunately, that, that cannot, really, cannot really be saved. Yeah. So, no silver bullet. Uh, uh, Googling, <laughs> Googling is great. Uh, forums are nice. But at some point, it makes sense to, to actually go to, uh, to a professional and uh, get get some help. And uh, as you already pointed out in one of the previous stories that we ran, it doesn't necessarily have to be a whole full-fledged uh, agreement, like a retainer for months uh, for the uh, for the legal professional. So it's uh, always possible to get this sort of strategic advice as like a one session or two sessions. Am I right? Exactly. Absolutely. We just got a request for that today, this morning. I just read the email before we started to talk. So definitely it can be one or two hours quick legal session. Obviously, it's not going to be a uh, any draft coming out of it, but um, we can discuss the major issues which you really have to 
think about, which we have to decide on the major traps. And um, that's already a good starting point. Or like we can help you with some directions where to look further. For example, if you get confused of all the information made on the internet, then then, mm. then we can we can hold your hand there a little bit and then guide you towards the ones which 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 are going to be useful for you and beneficial for your company. So definitely, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a very very big contribution from your end. But again, you are we are talking about you building a company here. You have future plans with it. You would like to make money for it. So you cannot save everything if you want it to be successful later on and as smooth as possible. Obviously, yeah, right. Or if and you like so- challenges. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, there are challenges to take and there are challenges to avoid. Uh, I'm afraid this is uh, th- this is the letter. Th- th- this is the case of the letter. Anyway, Carola, thank you so much. This was it for my questions. Thanks a lot once again for joining the show. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk. Uh, thanks a lot for your uh, work. I guess there are a lot of startups that uh, could uh, could thank you for everything that you've done and uh, good luck with everything you're doing at Kashailo. Thank you very much, Adri. It's been a great pleasure. And this is it for today's episode. Thanks to Karola Kashai for joining and big thanks to you for listening. Check out Kashai Law at kashailaw.com. You can find a link in the show notes. If you've got burning legal questions, drop them a line and get a professional consultation that will not cost you a fortune. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com, please check them out. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Please send them by email to podcast at tech.eu. This was Tech EU Podcast, I am Andrei Degular, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy your week. Bye-bye.